So the other thing that I, that I haven't talked about yet, and that is uh, the Kirkwood State Football Championship, which happened a couple weeks ago, that uh, we're pretty proud of. And there was a big rally at the, at the, um, uh, at the downtown plaza yesterday. And, you know, there, there's a couple people that are behind the scenes working tirelessly to really help the team. They, they pretty much go unnoticed. Uh, the woman in this couple is somebody who really works hard with the students to keep their grades up. The husband, well, he's just a great all-around Kirkwood guy. And yesterday, we were able to get a picture of them holding the trophy uh, in, uh, in the downtown plaza. In the I did that with a straight face. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Cindy, good job Photoshopping that. No, that's actually somebody, the principal of Kirkwood High School walked by and said, here, hold this, we'll take a picture of you. I had absolutely nothing to do with the football team winning the state championship. My wife, however, did. She deserved to be in that picture. So uh, we just wanted to uh, give a shout out to the high school football team for, uh, for their success. That is awesome. Uh, we are in Micah chapter 5 during the Advent season. So if you have a Bible, you can uh, turn there. We'll be in chapter 5 uh, for a little bit of teaching time this morning. Uh, but before we jump into that, let, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. It is the most uh, important aspect of our life, the word of God, the truth of God. Uh, we sang this morning that Jesus is the very word of God in the flesh. And therefore, it is, it is appropriate and it is good and it is life-giving for us to come and bow down and adore him. Yet, Father, we live in a world that sometimes just says that's nonsense. It's an old wives' tale. It's foolishness. There's no need for redemption. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Save yourself. Make the best of your life. You're the captain of your own soul. So, Father, we find ourselves uh, at odds with the message of our generation, the message of our culture, and the truth that we find in your scripture. And so, Father, as we come this morning to study, we, we don't do that in a vacuum. We come, uh, in many respects, hard-pressed on every side. We come from circumstances that are challenging in our lives. We come, uh, perhaps, from disappointment and things that haven't turned out the way we'd hoped they would. We come, uh, perhaps, wanting to believe you, but uncertain. Uh, Lord, maybe we come supremely self-confident, thinking we don't need you. Lord, what I do know is that every person in this room has a desperate need for the truth of God, from the person who delivers a message to everyone who hears. Lord, we are all the same. Uh, we are saved by your grace or we are not saved. So, Father, if we, are, if we are either proud or despairing or somewhere in between this morning, we pray that your truth would speak into our lives. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to what you want us to learn and to understand. Forgive me for my sin, Father. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want the people gathered in this room to hear and to understand this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do a little, uh, little business quiz this morning. I am going to put four different company mission statements on the screen. And we're going to test your knowledge of, uh, I'm not going to give you the names of the companies, just their mission statement. Now, a couple of them are easy and a couple of them are a little more difficult. Let's see how we do. The first one is this, to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. That's a pretty easy one. Anybody? 
Starbucks. That's a, that's a pretty easy one. So that's, that we, wait, hang on a second. There's one more at the bottom. Don't, we don't rush this. Okay, this is a little bit tougher, maybe, to be the world's leading provider of premium products and premium, ser premium services for individual mobility. Anybody? Nope. Individual mobility. BMW. Cars, right? All right, so we didn't do too well on that one. We're batting 500. Let's go to the next page. To refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. <laughs> Not worth repeating? Is that okay? Thank you, Joe. <laughs> okay, now we've heard from this corner of the room. <laughs> Think refresh. Bingo. Coca Cola. Very good, Steve Hughes. Lastly, dedication to the highest quality of customer service, delivered with a sense of warmth, friendliness, individual pride, and company spirit. That's pretty, that, that's pretty gray. No. Nope. 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 Although Nordstrom's has great customer service. I will, I will agree with that. Um, these people, when you, when you are around them, the people that represent the company when they're talking to you are absolutely hysterical, and everybody else in their industry is real, real serious. Southwest Airlines, there you go. Thank you very much. All right, so we, you know, we got, we got, we're batting 500. Not, not bad, not bad at all. Um, you may not realize this, but Old Testament Israel had a mission statement. Old Testament Israel had a very specific responsibility to which they were assigned by God. It would be a mistake to read the Old Testament scriptures as simply kind of a taking up time and a prelude until we get to the really important stuff of Jesus coming into the New Testament. The Old Testament actually has woven through it, and, and Phil made, uh, made comment to the book of Ruth this morning, which is part of the story of Old Testament Israel. Old Testament Israel was giving a very specific responsibility by God when God called them through Abraham and then as he led them throughout the leadership of Moses and and the kings the judges and the kings and so I want to put for you the kind of the the, the uh, mission statement of Old Testament Israel now this is Tom Ricks's kind of uh, interpretation of all of the Old Testament summed up very very succinctly as far as the life of Israel so their responsibility was to represent God's goodness and justice and glory and grace to the nations around them. So they said, our responsibility, is, especially as God took them out of Egypt and put them in, uh, in, in the, uh, the land of Palestine uh, and gave them that land, was to represent not that they were a great nation, but to represent God's character. And God's character is described in goodness and justice and glory and grace. So the way they did that was twofold, by living as his people in covenant relationship with him. In other words, by trusting the promises that he made, that believing that he would be their God and that he would care for them. And then secondly, by keeping his statutes, by, by following the law of the Old Testament. The, the law pointed them to the character of God. Now, what did that mean in, in the simplest terms possible? Well, if you, if you want to just boil it down, we could boil it down to these two things. To worship God alone as the one living in true God. If you go and you read the, the Ten Commandments, the first, things, the, the first thing that says there is God says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Israel. You'll have no other gods before me. 
Don't make any idols. Don't worship any false gods. And so one of the, the main responsibilities of the nation of Israel was to worship God, was to honor God for who he was. Now, if they did that, then the second thing would come naturally to them, which was that they would love their neighbors themselves. Now, you should maybe, if, you, if you've been around uh, teaching and preaching of the Bible at all, there maybe should be some little bells going off in your head that you'd say, I heard Jesus say that someplace. That's right. Someone came to Jesus one day and they said, what are the most important commandments? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Worship God alone and what? And therefore your neighbor as yourself. This was the calling. This was the mission statement to the nation of Israel. Well, how did they do it that? Well, they got settled in the land, and after they'd been there a few hundred years, uh, things began to move them away from the worship of God in a pretty radical way. They had trouble fulfilling the mission statement, kind of from day one. But after the, the reign of David and Solomon, things really took a turn for the worse, and they began to worship their own wealth. They began to, to worship their own prosperity. They began to be seeing self-advancement above everything else. God was no longer the one whom they worshiped. They, they worshiped their own comfort. They were presumptuous of God being the one who would care for them, but their presumption, being presumptive turned into to greed and to selfishness. Because of that, because they stopped worshiping God, they became callous and oppressive towards the most needy among them, towards the widow towards the orphan, towards their, their weaker neighbors, towards the, the alien, the stranger. The result was that, that because they stopped worshiping God, because they missed the first half of their mission statement, so to speak, it ended up resulting in negative relationships with one another. Think about it this way. We read Starbucks, um, their, their motto first, right? One person, one cup, you know, the, the, the family environment in the neighborhood. This, it's not about coffee, it's about relationships, right? This would be like going into Starbucks. Those of you guys who go into Starbucks all the time, I don't. I go about three times a year. Um, I get my, because I just drink black coffee and, and Starbucks has all the frilly stuff. I just drink black coffee. But it'd be like going into Starbucks if you go in there all the time and them not knowing your name and you standing at the counter for a couple minutes and they'll be like, hey, I'll get to you in a minute. And then they're talking on their cell phone and cracking jokes there when you would go, wait a minute, this, this is diametrically opposed to what Starbucks is supposed to be. I mean, literally, I go to Starbucks like three times a year when I go for Cindy to get her a cup of what she drinks, and I always have to write it down to remember it because I can never remember it. And I walk in there, and I, I say, hey, I'm, I'm here for, for my wife, and it, it, it's a latte something or other, and the gal's like, well, what's your name? I said, I'm here for Cindy. She doesn't even look at me. She goes, uh, um, Vente Soy Latte. She looks back at me, how, how, how's Katie and Richard doing out in Hawaii? I'm like, is this person stalking me? <laughs> what's, what's going on here? That's, they're living up to their, to their mission statement. Because Old Testament Israel lost focus of their worship of God, they lost focus in the ability to love and care for one another, to represent him well. So what was the end result? Well, the end result was... Um, there ought to be another, I think I missed a slide in there. Let me tell you what the, the end result was. There was a, a greed and a cruelty. Uh, what happened was, as they abused the poor, their national morality, their, their social um, honesty and care was, was abandoned, and they literally uh, became bankrupt morally. 
Their self-absorption led to make them a, a target for uh, invasion of their enemies, as we'll read in a moment in Micah chapter 1. They're under siege. Why? Because they were so consumed with themselves and they were so presumptuous of God's grace and God's care that they stopped worrying about whether anybody could ever attack them. Their failure to love God, their failure, therefore, to care for their neighbor meant that their wealth had actually become their poverty. And that as a nation, as a people of God, they stood on the brink of utter ruin. Well, how does God respond in moments like this? How does God react when those who he calls to be his children fail to follow him? Does he disown them? Does he say, you know what, now I'm going to go with a plan B because plan A didn't work and, and you're not worthy of my love? You're not worthy of being in a relationship with me? Does God disown them? Does he pretend like, I, I've, I've never met you, I don't know you? Maybe perhaps God just cleans house and says, enough with this, I'm going to wipe this group out and I'm going to start again from scratch. How does God respond to those who have forgotten who they've been called to be and live in a manner that would reflect their understanding of the mission of their lives. And that's where we come to Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and we begin to see the response of God to an unfaithful people. Hear the word of God. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the, tree, on the cheek, as Anton talked last week about the, the invasion of the Assyrians. Uh, and the national crisis right at their doorstep. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor is given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock. And the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the reading of God's holy, perfect word to him alone be glory. We're going to center in this morning in answering the question, how does God respond, simply by looking at verse 2. We'll look and tackle the other verses as the weeks go on as we lead up to Christmas. But the question we need to answer and understand from this passage is, where does God take a people who forget his goodness, who forget his mercy, who forget his character? How does God react? Well, verse 2 begins to uncover quite a bit of that for us. And the first thing is this, is that God will not abandon his people. God does not say, you know what, I've had enough. I've, I think I'll go to the other side of the world and I'll busy myself with, with some things over there. I've decided that I, I don't have any more time for you. My patience has run out. If you're a parent, maybe a dad, you said to your kids before, you know, I've had it up to here. You know, that's kind of the warning sign. And as a child, I was like, well, how much is left? They got about a half inch there, you know. Um, but God does not approach Israel by saying, you know, I've, I've had it with you. I'm done with you. Verse 2 tells us that God's representative will initiate his plan. That the one who is coming will restore the worship of God, and therefore the net result of his coming will be love for others. But this is God's plan that's being initiated. This is not something where God is waiting for the nation of Israel to go, oh my gosh, we've gotten it wrong. We need to wake up here. 
God's not waiting for Israel to come to their senses and say, I think we've made a wrong turn. We better go in a different direction. God isn't sitting back with arms folded and saying, you know, if they ever get their act together, then maybe, just maybe, I'll come and offer some kind of help. God does not wait for Israel, nor does God wait for you and me to move towards him. God's plan is unfolding before we even understand our need for it. And it is God's plan. It is not man's plan. From you shall come forth for me. God's saying, my plan is a plan of redemption. This one is coming to represent my character. This is not something that you are going to produce. This is something that I am going to do because of who I am. I don't know if you ever watched the, uh, the show Undercover Boss. Uh, Rich McClure, who goes to Green Tree, actually was on that show last year uh, in, in a, one of their, uh, one of their uh, episodes. I watch it occasionally, but there was an episode. Well, let me back up. If you don't watch Undercover Boss, the idea is you have somebody who is high up in the company, maybe the president or uh, the example I'm going to give you this morning, it was a mayor of a city, and, the, and they dress him up, they can't recognize him, and they go and they work with some of the kind of the average everyday workers, and they find out how the company's really going or how the, how the city's really being run. And the one that I remember the most is the mayor of Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Uh, 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 Mallory was named Mayor Mallory. He goes, and, and the makeup was unbelievable, and he goes undercover, and he works with some of the folks in the garages, and he works with some of the transit people, but he works with this one gal who's a ticket lady. She's, a, uh, I guess, a meter maid would be the technical term for it. She writes tickets to where parking meters have expired, and he spends a couple days walking around with her, and she's just, she's got an opinion about everything. She just, you know, and she doesn't hold back. And he'll be you know, like, what do you think about this or that? And boy, they, you know, if they just, this is how they need to fix these parking meters and this is what they need. But she's faithful to do her job. She's out there every day and she's working hard. And on the second day, he begins to find out some things about her son who's suffering from a terrible disability. And as, as the story begins to unfold, he learns about her life, not just about what she's doing. And she has some opinions on the mayor too, which she doesn't, she doesn't mind vocalizing from time to time. But his purpose... The mayor's purpose is a purpose of redemption. His purpose is, is to make the Cincinnati, city of Cincinnati a better place. And at the end, when it's all revealed, and, and, he, and she finds out that he's gone out and got some corporate sponsorship to help provide some things for her son, you know, at first she just kind of bursts into joy, and then she goes, okay, wait a minute, forget about all that other stuff I said to you about you. You're really, you know, you're, you're really, you know, she kind of catches herself. But it was his plan. She was completely unaware until, he, until he, he showed her his true character. And that's a very small picture of a God who will not abandon his people. A God who comes and says, I may have some hard things to say to you. You've turned your back on me. You, you have failed to love me, failed to, to worship me as you should, and therefore you're not caring for one another well. There may be a rebuke in the message, but all of it is offered in love because we have a God that will not abandon. The second thing we need to see in verse 2 is that God's agent, this one who comes, he is going to reign in the power of God, and he's going to bring about the will of God. The one who comes is going to be the ruler in Israel. God does not come to negotiate. God does not come to say, you know what, let me hear your opinion, let me hear your complaints, and maybe I can correct some things, and, and, and we'll get it all right, because after all, I'm just here to make sure that you're happy with me. No. God is the Lord of all that is. He's the King of kings. He's majestic and he's glorified. 
There is no power in heaven and earth that exists outside of his sovereign rule. And when he uses his power, he uses it for our good. But friends, make no mistake about it. The one who is coming is coming as the ruler of Israel. He is coming to establish the power of God in the direction it has always been intended to go. Which leads me to my third observation about this verse, is that God's rule is always consistent with his character. God does not change from moment to moment. God does not go about things a certain way and then decide he's going to go about things another way. God doesn't tell you one thing and then do something else. We know that this one who is coming, this one who is coming with God's plan, this one who is coming in power is coming from the ancient of days. He is, in fact, God in the flesh. The one who comes is coming to do what? To expand And to show the world the goodness of God, the justice of God, the glory of God, and the grace of God. And isn't that what Jesus Christ has done and is doing? Does Jesus Christ not not display the goodness of God in his his miraculous care of people, in his teaching and of telling them the truth? Does Jesus not show the justice of God by going to the cross for you and for me? If you think that God's going to ignore all the sins you've committed in your life, you are sadly mistaken. If I think that God's going to let me into heaven because I decided to be a preacher all my life and try to do some good for people while ignoring all the garbage in my life, all the terrible things I've done in my life, I have lost my mind. God is a God of justice. And that's what the cross is all about. The reason we celebrate Christmas is because it introduces the answer to God's justice. And it's answered how it's answered through the glorious coming of Jesus and his grace and his mercy. Jesus took your place on the cross. He took my place on the cross. When God punished Jesus on the cross, it was because he saw my sin and he saw your sin. And his justice was met so that his glory and his grace and his compassion would be consistent with his rule, would be consistent with his character. God will not abandon. He will come with power and with his plan and it will be consistent with his glory and with his majesty. The sermon this morning is not about an observation of ancient Israel, friends. The church of Jesus Christ needs to ask the exact same question. Has our wealth become our poverty? Have we lost sight of who we are individually or as a a congregation? In this day, in this generation, not just Green Tree Community Church, but the church of Jesus Christ. Do we understand that the rule of God has begun in Christ Jesus Do we see that he has come with authority? Do we see this babe who was born in a major has actually grown to be the one who would go to the cross and defeat death and Satan and sin and hell and be raised back to life on the third day so that we could experience the joy and the majesty and the glory of the presence of God for all of eternity? As I say to my hockey teams before we take the ice, this is not a time for fear. This is a time for focus. It's a time for us to remember who we are, who we belong, the one to whom we belong, and what we've been called to do and how to, be, how to follow. We do not need to be timid. We do not need to worry about how people respond to the message, not that we're rude, not that we're overbearing or obnoxious, but rather that we stand in the power and the strength of God. And it allows us to trust in His power. It allows us to be His children, his sons and daughters, his servants that share his message with the world. 
Because Christians, disciples of Jesus, are benefactors of his powerful grace. The same power that is in the ruler of Jesus, that, that is a promise to the nation of Israel, is a promise to the church. And because we stand in his grace and nothing will remove us from that, we can then live out lives of humble and uh, humility and thankfulness to the world around us. In other words, as we understand the grace in which we stand, as we embrace the cross of Christ, we begin to worship God. And as we worship God, what happens is our lives are transformed, and now our neighbors matter to us. Now the people around us are of supreme importance. Now we act out of grace. Now we act out of kindness. Now we act out of gentleness. I had to remember this yesterday when I was in a parking lot full of cars waiting for a woman who got in her car and sat there for five minutes when there were no other parking spaces around her because I needed to go in that store and buy some golf balls so I could play golf this afternoon. <laughs> I had to remember not to honk my horn at that woman. I had to remember in a simple moment like that to pray for her and to pray a blessing for her, not to pray the wrath of God for her. <laughs> this is such a stupid example. But friends, it comes down to every day of our lives. We either live in the power and assurance of God or we don't. We either rest in, in his strength and allow that to move out and through us in a compassionate way or we miss the opportunity. I got a, a phone call last week from the principal of Kirkwood High School. He said, hey, we've got about nine or ten guys on our team whose families just literally, they, there's no way they're going to be able to get these kids a, a ring, a state championship ring. And, and they're about $260. He said, I'm just kind of calling around and seeing if, if folks would, would help with that. And I said, well, let me tell you something. You, you know, call as many people as you can and find out, you know, if you, if you find enough people to support however many you can out of the nine or ten that really need it. But whatever you come up short, call me. I don't have to ask my elders. I don't have to go to my congregation. I know what their answer is. This is our community. These are our kids. Nobody's going without a ring. We, got, we have hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. We're going to let four or five kids not have a, have, a, have a ring after winning a state championship? God forbid. That's not about us being really cool people. That's about people who stand in the grace of God. and say, so how do we share that with other people? And if it's something as simple as that, of course. That is where the worship of God takes us, friends. That's why it's so important for us to understand this, this promise in Micah as a promise for you and for me. The rule of God has begun in Christ. We are benefactors of his grace. Are we distracted by the pursuit of temporal comfort? Temporal comfort and greed and uncaring. If we are, our wealth will be our ruin. But I believe that God's doing something very different at Green Tree. And I don't say that to, to not cause us to be prayerful and thoughtful about these words this morning. But I believe that God is furthering our mission, his mission through us. I believe that God is doing something dynamic in the lives of the disciples at Green Tree Community Church. And I believe he's calling us to spread his goodness and his justice and his glory and his grace. Our, our official mission statement is, is to make disciples, to, to grow disciples, to renew communities and to plant churches. But it's in the context of this amazing message of Christmas. There's one who is coming. Israel messed it up bad. The church will get it wrong probably more often that we get it right. But will we stand in his power? Will we allow his reign and rule to transform our hearts so that his goodness and his grace and his justice and his mercy are known to everyone who comes across our path? There is a redeemer. There is a Messiah. His name is Jesus. Let's pray together.